God is good. Well, God bless all of you. Everybody doing well? Everybody doing good? All right. Praise the Lord. Uh, I want to continue my kind of like Bible study and storytelling uh, what I began last week on the Blessed Building Program. I was able to uh, minister in Colorado. Uh, my wife and I, uh, Pastor Jake and my daughter Hannah invited us to come, wanted us to address the leadership of the church. They're trying to build a building or buy property or whatever. And, uh, you know, they're a church plant, so they have to meet in a school and they want to get their own facility, but they need to raise money. And their goal, uh, they were told was about 1.2 million. And by the time it was said and done, 2.2 million plus has come in. So they were able to raise over $1 million more than what they were told was possible by the size of their church and, and the, the income of their congregation. They, you know, they make a study in the science of all this. They thought they did everything right, and the people really bought in 100%. They'd be able to raise 1.2. Well, they raised over 2.2, and it's counting. So praise the Lord for that, you know. And so I was thinking about a blessed building program because we've done a number of building programs here, and uh, I didn't do a stewardship campaign like they did. And we're, It's a three-year program, and people, uh, they make their pledge and different things like this. I, I, in our first building program, I talked about this last week, so this is kind of a, a, a review. Uh, we were a very small church. Our offerings every, weekly were $3,000. I think Jake and Hannah Thrive Church, their offerings weekly, I think Jake told me, is around $18,000. So they, they make a little bit more money than what we did when we did ours for the very first time. We built uh, what's now the Kids on the Rock Room and uh, the Fellowship Hall. That was our first building program. And uh, at the time we started, we were bringing in $3,000 a week in offerings. Our congregation was very small. And uh, I thought it'd be great if I just raised money by asking people to give 90% of their income. Uh, and I did that three Sundays in the building program. And so 90%, if your offering is 3,000, nine times three is 27, you should be able to raise $27,000. And that's what we did. Our very first one, we brought in $27,000 that Sunday. Did, they didn't do it every single Sunday. You know, that's suicide to do it that way. But uh, I would tell them, you know, just come and be prepared. And in six weeks, we're going to be taking up a 90-10 offering. You prepare yourself. And the people had the joy of giving. They were excited to give and excited to give 90% of their paycheck. You know, that's the spirit of God. That's the grace of giving. And I did that three times. And I think the other two times we raised up to $25,000 each time. And so those three ninety tens plus the people just regularly were giving a little bit more than normal. And we did it debt-free to the glory of God. But we were so small, I was... Well, I, we got in when, my third year, so I was 30 when we got in. So I started this building program like at age 29. I didn't know anything. And our church was small, so small, and we hardly had any resources. And I learned this, that you can be too big, but you can never be too small for God. And we were small, just like Gideon got down to 300 men, and that's what God wanted. And I learned this, that God loves to receive the glory. And he took... Me and this little congregation and our meager amount of money that we had and the group of people that we had and he was in it and we worked it hard and trusted the Lord and we got into it and, and then to God be the glory. 
Nobody, when we got done with that first building program, was taken about saying, you know, it's because of me. No, we knew it was God. We knew it was God. And I learned, uh, you know, through these building programs, the five keys to a blessed building program. I taught, this is all review. I talked about it last, uh, last Wednesday. You know, in, in, the, in the natural or in the secular, they tell you if you're in a building program of any type, you need planning, you need personnel, and you need preparation. Those are the three Ps. Planning, personnel, preparation. Planning, you need a plan. You know, what you're going to build, the size and all that, form and function. You need, obviously, uh, personnel. You need your team. Whatever that team is, the builder, the architect, the team that's with you. And then, of course, you need preparation. That's the accumulation of resources ahead of time. You need to prepare ahead of time. Well, we hardly had any preparation ahead of time, uh, but uh, we were able to gather it as we were building our first building program. Our, our personnel was very small. Our plan was small. But to us at that time, because of our size, it was huge. It was a half $500,000 building program. Because we did it debt-free and did the work ourselves, you can save about 50% doing the labor yourself. And so we were able to get in for, to it for about $270,000. But $270,000, when you're bringing in $3,000 a week, and you're very small, it could have been $10 million. You know what I'm saying? Money's kind of relative. It seemed huge. It seemed huge to me. And I didn't know what I was doing. None of us really knew what we were doing. But we did it because we felt like God was having us do it. After all, we had over, we had outgrown our facility. That's not saying much because our facility had six pews on one side of the aisle and eight pews on the other side. They were small pews. And to say we were outgrowing it, you know, it hardly takes anything to outgrow it. I mean, the, well, the gathering tonight would fill the thing up about three, four times. That's how small we were. Oh, my gosh. But I learned afterwards that you need more than planning, personnel, and uh, preparation. In, in a spiritual sense, if you're going to do anything from God, you also need purpose and peace. Those are the five Ps. Purpose, have you heard from God? Do you have a divine purpose? And I talked about how the Lord spoke to me through Henry Heffelbauer, who came out of the front door of the church after a Sunday morning service, quoting 1 Chronicles 28, 10 and 20 to me. The Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary, be strong and courageous and do it. And I knew that he had called me to do this. So I had purpose, divine purpose. God was in this. It just wasn't my idea or the advisory board's idea or a congregation's idea, or some other person's idea, this thing was God's idea. That's important. You got to be able to. I knew a guy, uh, and he was uh, undertaking this huge building program, and he had called me, called my wife and I uh, to go down. It was in Phoenix, Arizona, one of the suburbs of Phoenix. This is a number of years ago. And uh, so we went down, and he was talking to me about this. He is building a children's wing, massive children's wing. I think maybe 30,000 square feet worth of children's wing, which is huge, huge. And uh, he's talking to me about it, and he says, yes, yes, we are doing this. He's relatively new to the church as a pastor. He says, we're doing this because this was the previous pastor's vision, and I want to fulfill his vision. And, you know, okay, fine, that's what I was saying on the outside. But on the inside, I'm saying to myself, oh, no, 
warning, warning, warning. You are doing another man's vision? Mm, I don't know about that. And I kept my skepticism to, my, to myself because they had already broken ground and everything. And sure enough, uh, they never got it done. They never got it done. It's still not done. This is years and years later. It's still not done. Because you, you have to have God's purpose for the, the right word, right at the right time, for the right reasons. You just have to know that. He's just trying to do what the previous pastor wanted to do. And that won't see, lead you through. So you need purpose and you need peace, the idea of unity. Uh, you can't have open warfare going on and have a successful building program. Nobody builds a house in a hurricane. Jesus in Matthew 7 talks about how you build your house. Uh, you know, you hear and do the word of the Lord. It's like building your house on solid rock. So when the rain and the winds and the storms come, it'll beat upon the house and it will stand. Uh, but nobody says, oh, it's a hurricane's blowing right now. Let's start building. No, you don't build in a storm. You don't build in open warfare. You build ahead of time when there's peace. You got that purpose from God. You prepare ahead of time, which brings me to building program number two. All right, let's, it's our children's facility. And if we can put up the picture of building program number two, there I am. I'm standing on the poured floor. Look how much hair I have. It's just sweet. And uh, I think I have a mustache there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then uh, next picture, is there another picture? Oh, there it is, standing up on the hill, looking down. That's the children's wing where the, uh, all the children's classrooms are and the rainforest. Also, our new offices are there. So you see that going up. And then you can see you know, the little white building. See it off over the top where we first met. And then you can see the little rose-colored church. My enemies call it pink, but I call it rose, the brick, the brick. Building program number two. The challenge for building program number two, we began it in 1994. The challenge is, is this. Would adults give to a facility strictly for children that had no direct benefit for them? Pastors told me, you know, your, 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 your givers will give if they feel a direct benefit to them. But the more it's removed from them, the less they'll be inclined to give. And so if you're going to build a sanctuary for the congregation, everybody feels that. But if you're going to build a children's wing, and a lot of people in the church might not have children, they might not feel the importance of that. So that was a challenge. Would they love the next generation? And so my financial strategy wasn't 90-10s. It was 50-50s. I decided I'm going to challenge them to bring 50% of their income these Sundays. And I did three of those. And our congregation was larger. And uh, you know what? God blessed. And the Lord spoke to me that we're to do this one debt-free as well. So our first two builder programs, we did debt-free. Very challenging to do it debt-free. Because it's just a bunch of numbskulls, workers out there, just trying to follow instructions and, uh, you know, framing it and running the wires and doing the plumbing and uh, putting on the roof. And uh, you might wonder why we have a lot of roof leaks over on those first two building programs. Because we roofed the building, that's why. Hmm. So that was my financial strategy, to build it debt-free with 50-50 offerings I learned this lesson. God loves to make room for children. 
God loves children. Be it little children, natural, physical children, or spiritual children, God loves to make room for children. God cares about that. And you know what? The congregation bought into it. They said, we will build a children's ring. When we built our first building program, we just had a sanctuary and a fellowship hall, and then we had a little nursery area. But we didn't have any classrooms for kindergartners, first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade. We'd make them walk across the parking lot to the, to the little building on the corner, and I think we used that facility a little bit in our fellowship hall. But it wasn't what I really wanted. You know, I wanted rooms designed for these children that we could decorate, make a whole lot of fun. If you've ever been down to the children's wing, it's awesome. It's awesome. The children's wing. God loves to make room for children and the harvest. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 54. Single barren, you, have not, you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. So this is a prophecy for the restored nation of Israel. They're going to go, be going into hard times, and they're going to be minimized. Isaiah the prophet is seeing a restored Israel, and no more cursed or under judgment or barren, but they're going to prosper, and he's just prophesying. But there's a lot of principles there, right? That you who have some, maybe uh, you're not as fruitful as you want, and how God can all of a sudden create fruitfulness to you. Natural fruitfulness, spiritual fruitfulness. And God really used Isaiah 54 to encourage me in this second building program when it says, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Believing that God loves to make room for children. There's a story in the Old Testament, a King Hezekiah. You heard of King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah got very sick. And uh, the prophet went and told him, get your house in order, you're dying. That was the word of the Lord to him. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and wept bitterly and called on the name of God. And God gave another word to the prophet. And God's not changing his mind. God is being consistent. God is responding one way to a king. And then God is responding a different way to the king based upon that king's response. That make sense? So God will come at you one way. But if you repent, he'll come at you another way. God's not changing. Really, you're changing. So I am the Lord, I change not. So God tells the prophet, based upon Hezekiah's repentant heart, you go tell him that he's going to have 15 more years. And sure enough, they put a boil, uh, not a boil, they put figs on a boil. So this boil obviously was creating a tremendous infection that was going to take his life. Put the Put the figs on the boil, got, but it wasn't the figs that, that healed him. Obviously, figs don't heal an internal infection. It was the really a point of contact for a release of faith, and Hezekiah is healed supernaturally by the Lord. Praise God. Fifteen years is extended. He's rejoicing. Assyria is the world empire power, always threatening Israel and Judah, those two kingdoms. And so Assyria is looming. Hezekiah was healed of the Lord, and Hezekiah was a righteous king. And all of a sudden, some strangers 
were sent from this place called Babylon, way off from the east. And Babylon was an emerging nation, but they weren't a world empire. Hezekiah receives them, and he's so thankful to God. And here's these Babylonians coming, and he's filled with some pride. He starts showing them everything, and this disappoints God because Hezekiah is motivated by pride. Look at what I have. Look at all that I've done. Look what I have amassed. Look at this. Look at, look at my kingdom. That's kind of the attitude that Hezekiah had. Little did Hezekiah know is that God was raising up Babylon to be his sword of judgment upon evil in the world. Even though Babylon was evil, God was going to use them to bring judgment on evil and then turn and judge Babylon for their evil. That's what happened in the Old Testament. So God was going to raise up Babylon. Babylon was going to be a world empire. Babylon was going to crush Assyria. Later, Babylon was going to come and crush Judah in 586 and carry them away captive. Hezekiah didn't know this. He just receives these messengers from Babylon, shows them everything. He's lifted up with pride. And all of a sudden, the word of the Lord comes to Hezekiah from a prophet, Isaiah, And Isaiah says, what you did was wrong. One day, Babylon's going to be raised up by God, and they're going to come and destroy this nation. And Hezekiah said, in my lifetime? And the answer is no. And listen to this. Isaiah 39, verse 8. At least there will be peace and security in my lifetime. That's what Hezekiah's response was. Because the prophet said this. You're a good king. It won't happen to you, but it's going to happen after you. And Hezekiah says, oh, thank God. At least it won't be in my lifetime. No, well, what about your sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters and great-grandsons and great-granddaughters? It's called the Hezekiah syndrome. At least it's not in my generation. Hezekiah syndrome is I don't care about the next generation. Or the generation to follow. I'm just happy it's not going to happen to me. That's it. And that is never pleasing to the Lord. And so a church that doesn't care about the next generation or the next next generation has what I call this Hezekiah syndrome. They're just simply caring about themselves. You know, I, I share this all the time. You know, the type of music we have is contemporary And, of course, we do the lights and we do the haze and different things like this, a lot of social media stuff. And it's not for many of you, but we're not doing it to reach you. You've already been reached for the Lord. We're doing it for children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, trying to be contemporary, trying to reach them. Does that make sense? That's why we do it. God wanted Israel to make room for promised supernatural children. That's why Isaiah said, enlarge your tent, stretch forth the curtains of your dwellings, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. You know, in my first building program, my team was so small, I felt like I didn't have much help. I got my eyes off the Lord in it and got my eyes on people. And I finished that building program, but I felt I finished somewhat in defeat with not, you know, bad attitude. And I told the Lord, I said, I'll never do another building program again. That's not what I said. I, when I got done, I said, Lord, 
if you would ever use me again to do a building program, it's my promise to you that I'm going to do better. And sure enough, I did building program number two. And I built a big team, and we did it debt-free. And at times, I'd start to get my eyes off the Lord on the people, and I'd feel that coming back. And I said, nope, I promised the Lord I was going to do better in the second building program. I want to end not in defeat, but in victory. And by the grace of God, he grew me, strengthened me, enabled me. And I felt like building program number two, we finished it debt-free. And I felt like I finished with some victory in my heart. So can you say praise God for growth? Yes, the Lord wants us to grow. And I learned this, that if you don't do good the first time around, God will be gracious to bring it, it around again. And your, your, your response should never be, I will never do that thing again. Your response will be, Lord, if that thing comes around again, give me grace to do better. You want to keep growing. I knew a pastor... And he was uh, an associate minister, and uh, so he was just on the team. And uh, him and his pastor went through a building program, and it was a challenge. It was a challenge. And building programs can be challenging. And there's a lot of strife and division. And uh, he was just an associate pastor, and he made an inner vow. He said, if I'm a pastor, I will never do a building program. Well, the Lord blessed him, and he became a senior pastor of an Assembly of God church. And uh, I remember talking to him on the phone. He's a good friend of mine. I talked to him on the phone. And uh, he had, they had filled up the sanctuary. He didn't want to go to two services. didn't want to, quote, divide the people. Uh, so, so I said, well, if you're not going to go to two services, because you can, you can have a building program just going to a second service. You have a whole other church service a whole nother parking lot. You can just make room by adding a second service. Does that make sense? He said, oh, I don't want to do a second service. That'll just divide the people. And that's a common concern. I understand that, but it doesn't have to divide the people. I said, well, then you got to do a building program. I said, he says, no, I will never do a building program. And you know what happened? He capped the growth of his church. They went in the summertime When fall came, he counted the people. They had lost 150 people. He got so discouraged, and in a couple years, he resigned from the church as the pastor and became an evangelist. But you know what he never did? He never did a building program. See, that's... That's the wrong thing to say. Sometimes we make these inner vows. You go through an experience, and maybe you didn't do well in it, and you say to yourself, I'll never do that. And God hears that. And God is gracious to grow you and to challenge you. And if you flunk first grade, he'll bring you around and make you go through first grade again until you pass first grade, then he'll take you to second grade. Our goal is to ever be growing. Am I right about that? And to never say boundaries. All right. This is as high as I want to go, high as I want to climb, as large as I want to grow, as much risk as I'll ever take. This is just, this is where I'm at. You know, this is what I'm doing. You know, I'm just going to cap it right here. And uh, no, don't do that. Say, Lord, I just want to keep growing. Just keep growing. I don't care what my age is, what my situation is, I just want to set my heart on you and take the challenge that you have placed in front of me. 
If you like that point, say praise the Lord. So I learned that God does care about spiritual children. He wants you to make room for spiritual children. And he wants you not to have the Hezekiah syndrome that says, uh, well, you know, as long as it's okay with me and uh, I don't care about children or grandchildren, I just care about me, you know, that's not good. Building program number three was this sanctuary. I love this sanctuary. We could see building program number three. Uh, we got done in 2001. And so we started in 2000, and boy, what a step of faith. We did not do this one debt-free. We just knew that we did not have the expertise, the manpower, and all that stuff to do the work ourselves, wiring this and plumbing this and putting the roof on this. Oh, my gosh. It's challenging enough to do something this large uh, with help, but this was a little over $3 million, so it was quite the step up. One of the problems is... is uh, the little tiny building on the corner was on a one-acre parcel, and then we had purchased, Cornerstone purchased eight additional acres, and so the Sanctuary and Fellowship Hall and Children's Wing were on the additional eight acres with our parking lot. Well, we wanted to build this. We had a total of eight plus one, nine acres. So I forget, uh, I don't know if Brother Dave is here tonight. Brother Dave, wait, well, did you go to the township meeting with me that night where we just presented preliminary plans? I can't remember who all went, but I remember I went, and I remember Ralph Oldie, who's going to be the building superintendent, he went, and some guys on the board went, and uh, we just presented the preliminary plans of this sanctuary, and they're talking about it. We weren't even asking for site plan approval, or just preliminary plans, just to talk to them about it, and uh, they're looking at us and say, you know what, you don't have enough property. You just can't do it. This sanctuary cannot sit on the nine acres because you have to have the, you know, you have to have a parking space for every three. So this seats a thousand. So you need 333 parking spaces. And then they, they have this rule that you have to retain all the water on your property. That's why we have four holding ponds. And to retain all, they don't want any property running off our property to the road or to the next door neighbor or anything. You just, uh, I don't know, John, you were, did you go to that township meeting with us? Yes, because you were, you assisted Brother Ralph in that. Uh, Anyway, and uh, so you have to hold it all. And they said, just don't have enough uh, land to do what you're going to do. Eh, kind of discouraged, of course. And I'm walking out, and one of the board members just reaches out and grabs me and says, uh, I know your next-door neighbor. His last name is Perna. Is it Jim Perna? Is that it, Jim Perna? Yeah, Jim Perna just lives right there. I think he still lives there. I know your next-door neighbor. Here's his phone number. Give him a call. Maybe he'll send you, sell you property. I said, well, okay. So the next morning, I came to the office, and I called up Jim Perna out of the blue. I told him who I was. I said, we'd be interested in buying some property off of you. He says, well, let's talk. (laughs) So we set up a meeting. He came, and uh, I think an acre was going at the time about five to $8,000 an acre maybe out here in Highland. He came and talked, and he said, well, I would like to sell you five acres. He says, I'll sell you five acres at $20,000 an acre. So he had the upper hand, wasn't even listed. He had the upper hand, and I, I felt, and we talked it over, we felt we should just meet that price. 
So we bought the extra five acres. And this sanctuary, that parking lot, and the Ignited Center sits on those extra five acres. Well, that's kind of like a miracle that I'm just walking out and the guy happens to know the next door neighbor and his phone number just says, give him a call. That's a divine appointment. Would you agree with that? And so uh, if we can go back a couple pictures to the second building program, can we do that? Yeah. I'm standing up on a hill looking down, right? And then the five acres we purchased is to the south there. As you can see, I'm up. Almost rooftop high. This five acres that we bought was just a huge hill covered in Christmas trees. Covered in huge pines because the Broadview Christmas Tree Farm used to own this acreage. And this used to be part of their Christmas tree farm. So it has all kinds of just towering pine trees. It's a wooded lot. Huge hills. And uh, we realized, well, we got to level the land. We got to chop down all the trees and level the land if we're going to build there. Are you guys enjoying those stories? It's all about stories. I'm not a storyteller, but that's, I'm telling my story. And so uh, we, we, uh, uh, we form a building committee, and uh, we uh, get some bids on what it's going to take to have an excavation company come in and remove the trees and uh, level the land and cart off all that soil, all that dirt. And uh, our building fund, I think, was right around $250,000 that we had saved up ahead of time. And uh, the excavation costs were that much and more. And so we're there thinking, oh, my gosh, we need to get other bids or whatever. And so we get other bids. And uh, I still remember the meeting. Uh, They said, we have exhausted our resources. And uh, we were very discouraged because just to excavate, it was going to take all the money we had just to excavate. What are we going to do? I remember that next day, uh, Ralph Oldai, he had a little little machine, little backhoe on it, a little scooper and a little dump truck. He says, I'm just going to get started. And he just went out there. I remember I watched him. He put that little scooper in there and lifted it up and put it into the dump truck. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to take 40 years. <laughs> 40 years. Well, some, some companies were going by on Hickory Ridge, flying by on Hickory Ridge, and they saw this. I might not have the whole story exactly, but they saw what was happening. They came and asked for some fill dirt. And little did we know, but underneath the dirt, underneath those trees and the dirt or the topsoil was white sand. The type you see on a golf course in a golf trap. White, beautiful white sand. And next thing I know, the company says, we have all the equipment we need. We will remove everything for you if you just give us that sand. And so for months, semi after semi came through our property. And this company had huge... Uh, Brother John, do you remember what that company was? Was it a concrete company? Big excavated company. But they wanted that white sand. And uh, other people came wanting the white sand. And we gave it to that company. And they're moving it. And then they charge these other people come for that sun. So they're making money. They're removing it. And we're getting it done for free. For free. That's a miracle. My financial strategy was to raise half and take out a loan for half. So half of 3.2 is 1.6 million. We were able to raise 1.6 million 
and just in our giving, and we financed the other, and we got into this facility, building program number three. And uh, one of the things I learned is that God loves to show you the plan. Because how big were we going to build this sanctuary? Well, I had some people with big faith saying, we need to build a sanctuary for 3,000. And, uh, you know, so I had that. I wasn't sure how to build, uh, what what size sanctuary to build. We're out in the country. It's not like we're teeming with population out here. But I knew the Lord wanted us to enlarge. And I was just wrestling with it and thinking about it. And my, my Bible was opened on my desk, just like that, was opened on my desk. I was sitting down in my love seat. I still remember I walked over to my desk and I was just kind of praying, talking to the Lord. And I remember I looked down and my eyes, it was open to Isaiah 60, 22. It was just opened. And as I read Isaiah 60, 22, it just pops out. A little one shall become a thousand. That word thousand might have been like 10 feet tall. A little one shall become a thousand. And it's like, I just knew. Build a sanctuary, 4,000. God loves to show you the plan. He showed us a plan of removing the hill. He showed us the plan on buying the extra five acres. He showed us the plan of how large to build this sanctuary. You know, this was the size that we needed for this community, for the plans and purposes of God. Praise the Lord for all that, right? God loves to give you the plan. Some of you might not know what God's plan is, but God can show you. It tells us in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 11, then David gave Solomon the plans. It's interesting. You know, uh, I was talking to James Beal from Bethesda Christian Church, and uh, I talked to him about my two building programs, about doing them debt-free. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been down to Bethesda Christian Church. Anybody ever been down there? Oh, my gosh. The, the, it's amazing the, what they have built and the acreage that they have and the millions of dollars worth of facilities. is dwarfs what we have here. And I was talking about our two building programs we did debt-free. And he was kind of like a mentor to me. And he was talking to me on the phone. He said, you know what? I believe in taking out loans. Of course, a lot of people don't believe in taking out loans because you're supposed to do it all debt-free. That's what they teach. And uh, I think Bill Gothard was huge, huge on this. And uh, don't even talk about Dave Ramsey and putting things on credit. Anyway, he says, I believe in taking out loans. You know, want to know why? I said, well, tell me why. He says, because the people that are going to be coming in the future, they need to help pay for that sanctuary that they'll be sitting in. Well, okay, that makes good sense to me. Anyway, so we took out uh, about a $1.5 million loan for this, and we raised half, and we financed half, and we got into this. And that brings us to building program number four. I'm going to get done with this. Building program number four is the, oh, look at the, they're all waiting. You got a ways to go. Building program number four, the Ignited Youth Facility. You can see that picture Boom, there it is going up. Then the inside of that, we got the wall going up there. Well, one of my biggest challenges was we got in this in 2001, and, uh, you know, we got a loan. And, and then just five years later, 2006, we we're launching another building program. We hadn't even paid for this yet. Is that stupid or what? Will the people rebel against this or what? Will they give to another building program when five years earlier we just finished a big one? You know, what's going to be their response? Well, lo and behold, God was in it, and the people were happy to build 
a youth facility for teenagers. Unbelievable. We were still paying off our loan, but they are ready for another big step of faith. Once again, my strategy financially was raise 50%. That was more than this. That cost more than $3 million also. It actually cost more than this building program. So in those two, two building programs, five years apart, it's $6 million worth of stuff. So I decided to raise 50% and finance 50% just like I did on this building program. But what I did was I had to bring your best gift Sunday. And I still remember, Dave, you brought me up the, the total in the second service. Bring your best gift Sunday. And I was trying to raise 200000 and I don't know if you remember this, $400,000 came in. Do you remember that? Still remember I was standing, you came up with $400,000, double, a double portion. That's just, that wasn't pledges, it was cash. $400,000 came in on that Sunday. And this is just a few years after they had given sacrificially to build this. Unbelievable. You know, people were happy. They were, for the most part, happy, joyful. You always got the one that isn't. But as a whole, the vast majority of people, it's the joy of giving. It's like when I was out at Colorado, and there's that Thursday night, and they're meeting with their leaders and their big givers. And my wife and I went there, and I shared this message with them, just lessons I'd learned. And uh, I walked into the room. And uh, everybody's just buzzing. They're happy. They're buzzing. They're excited. And then the guy that was working with Jake and Hannah, the financial guy that's working with them, he wanted to be there that night just to witness it. He comes walking in. And I said, do you see this? He goes, what am I looking at here? I said, the people, they're excited. They're happy to be here. Uh, They can't wait to give. I said, they're going to give a lot of money tonight. And he goes, well, okay. Uh-huh. I said, I told him that. They're going to give a lot of money to Because I could tell he had buy-in. When people are coming to give their money sacrificially over a three-year program, and they're smiling and they're excited about it, that is God. That is God. That's the joy of giving. That's the grace of giving. I mean, that's the work of the Holy. You guys agree with that? I mean, you try to raise money, and God's not in it. Mm-mm, not good. Well, sure enough, that night, 1.5 million came in on Thursday night, and an additional about 800,000 came in on Sunday. I mean, Jake and Hannah, they're crying, they're hopping up and down, people are cheering. I mean, they were just so excited to give and to build God's kingdom. And uh, that is wonderful. I learned that God loves big faith with that ignited center. And uh, we're almost done. Ron, come on up here and take a couple minutes. Tell us why God loves big faith. Why we had to learn that lesson. You remember that, don't you? They'll give you a microphone somewhere. There it is. Rachel hands it to me. I hand it to you. Well, we were going to take the... um our old sanctuary, which our youth were using, and we were, you know, we were a little concerned about launching into another major building program and asking the people to give significantly. So we just, my husband and I talked about it privately before we were going to talk to the board, and and we decided, well, let's let's just bust out the back wall of the room that the youth were in over here in the old sanctuary, and let's just do some remodeling, and we could 
it could be paid for in cash with what we had in the checking. So he and I said, okay, that, that sounds like a good plan. Let's just, we can handle that, and we'll talk to the board about that, that that's what we, what, we, what we feel good about. We went to bed that night. All night long, the Holy Spirit was chastening me. Have you ever tried to sleep and God is dealing with you? And I just kept rolling back and forth, and I sensed the displeasure of the Lord, and the Lord kept saying, why do you doubt me? I am a great God, and I can do great things. We got up the next morning, and I asked my husband, how'd you sleep last night? He says, terrible. And I said, so did I. I said, the Lord chastened me all night long. I feel like we're in disobedience. God wants to do something greater than just bust out that back wall and remodel that room. And he said, the Lord did the same thing with me. All night long, God was chastening me. And so God loves great faith, great faith. And so we took that step of faith, and we built that building over there that was more expensive than this one. And I'll let you finish the story, which it's not, it's old news, but where we stand financially as a church. Well, go ahead, tell the story. You're doing good. You're a good storyteller. Everything is paid for. As a matter of fact, I believe, wasn't it during the recession? 2011, we've paid it off. During the recession, when it should not be happening, we made the final payment on everything that we owed, and now we stand, this congregation stands in the middle of a miracle. Everything is paid for. Everything. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Yes. God loves big faith. You know, we, we wanted to play it safe and do it small and didn't want to stretch ourselves and uh, believe God for something really big because this took a lot of faith. And it was soon after, oh, no, another big thing. Let's just play it safe. Let's just stay small. Let's just do it with money we already have saved up. And uh, boy, I tell you what, God dealt with my wife, and she's so spiritually minded. God dealt with me, and we woke up. We started comparing notes, and we felt the exact same way that God was, you know, Jesus would get ticked off at hypocrisy of the Pharisees, Right? The legalism and hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and also people that were slow to believe. Oh, you weak in faith. Oh, you slow to believe. How long until you start? But, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you know what? We felt like God was just rebuking us. I did not realize at the time, was just rebuking the both of us all night long because we were, our faith was very small. And we wanted to play it very safe and not believe God for anything because there is this thing called the work of faith. And when you're trying to believe God, it is a work of faith, you know, and it, it, it pulls something out of you to do that, to trust the Lord. Am I right about that? It does. It pulls something out. And so they get done with the building program. Solomon uh, finished the building program that David wanted to build. And when Solomon had finished praying... He's dedicating that temple. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good. His mercy endures forever. The end of every blessed building program is a spiritual answer from heaven. 
God came down in fire and glory for Solomon when they finished their building program. And uh, God always answers a successful building program with his wonderful presence. You know, when we were in that little tiny building and we had some great services there and uh, we're going to build and move into there, people were, <laughs> I'm going to miss this. <laughs> and uh, such memories and it was good. And then when we moved into there, tell how small we were, that seemed so big. Can the glory of the Lord fill that temple? And sure enough, God's presence came down. The Lord filled that up. And we had great memories there, the Spirit of God moving. And then I remember we built this. And I remember we, we marched from there over to here. And, oh, no, we're going to lose the war. But you know what? The Lord fills this place. You have great memories here. The Lord answers with his presence and his goodness. And if we, uh, if myself and my board and the little congregation that we had did not take a step of faith to build that building, all those people that were reached in that building never would have been reached because we had been stuck in that little tiny thing. You grow to the size of your container. And then if we would have stayed there, then hmm, how many people would have been reached, uh, would not have been reached if we never made it to here or if we never built the Ignited Center. God's done great things in reaching teenagers. There are probably teenagers that got saved tonight. Over there, maybe some that got saved in the kids on the rock wing, wing tonight as well. We have children get saved all the time. It's because when you obey God, believe God, step into what God has for you, He answers from heaven with His blessings. Does that make sense? Never choke the harvest by staying weak in faith. And God's always given us a congregation. Willing to do great things. Our building programs are done as far as I know. But you know what? God has us doing one nation, one days. Those have been incredible, huge steps of faith where we go and reach thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people. Who knows what God has in store for our church? I'm ready to move forward. I know I have a congregation that is ready to move forward. And whatever that might be. Because it's, it's not in my spirit to say, you know what, I'm done. I just want to finish out relaxing. You know, I just want to run my race and finish my course and complete the will of God in my generation. And God would have me do so. And the pastor, a group of people that are ready to take that mountain or take that hill or cross that river or take possession of that land, whatever it might be, just to do it as unto the Lord. Amen to that. All right, let's all stand. Close with a chorus. Let's sing it through once or twice, and then you are done. You are dismissed. God bless you, and fear not. Viruses may be attacking the world, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world.